Hello and welcome to Talking Flukes Extra. My name's Jean-Paul Wright and I'm today joined by Dr. Jose Valentino. Jose! Ah, Jose, you're there, you're there. We're doing this via messenger, so uh, if you hear any bobbles or bips, it's purely my signal. Now, Jose! I just wanted to give you just a a hint of awkwardness. (laughs) That's easy to do, make me feel awkward. (laughs) Hey, Joey, Joey. Now, do you mind if I call you Joey? <laughs> I've been reading your biography because, you know, it's, it's the dumb thing on these interviews to sort of introduce you and who you are and everything else. But it just goes on so long. And I'll just start with it, with t- telling you who you are, shall I? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. Hey, it's a lot of rubbers, but go ahead. You're an internationally acclaimed recording and performing artist with a PhD. You're a two-time Latin Grammy-nominated nominated, no, nominated artist, producer, audio, en- audio engineer, and a participator in the Parents' Choice Gold Winner album. And you've won 49 Downbeat Awards, which is a record. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. But the, bio, yeah, the bio is far too long to narr- narrate in this podcast. So more importantly, congratulations on the birth of your baby, Luca. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, my son was born on March uh, 6, 2018 at 3.01 in the morning, Eastern Time, weighing 6 pounds, 13 ounces, and 19 and a half inches long. And uh, would you believe that um, within several days, I also ended up winning a Global Music Award um, as a co-producer for the renowned Viviana Guzman and her album, Song of the Whale, and then achieving a couple accolades, and I just, I read it, and I said, oh, cool, back to my real award, which is my kid, and I'm absolutely in love with Luca so much, he's uh, kept me awake this whole time, so if I start uh, responding uh, without any type of cohesive uh, sentence, uh, (laughs) I apologize, but uh, my son Luca is, is the greatest thing that's ever happened to my wife Courtney and I, and we're so incredibly blessed. Oh, that is beautiful to hear. And it will transform your life, as any additional member of a family does. Absolutely. So, Jose, I've known you for quite a long time, well, a very long time, actually. But what I'd like to do, certainly for the benefit of the listeners, is to take you back to understand how did the story begin with Jose and and music? Yeah, uh, well, let me see if I can condense this, all right? Yeah, go on. By the way, if anybody ever wants to have a conversation and and share trajectories and, and uh, upbringings and things like that, I'm always down for a cup of coffee and a little red cup. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I think I would say the story, the way it began is I grew up in a musical home. Uh, both of my parents are medical professionals, but uh, my father also plays bass and my mother plays piano. So I grew up... Uh, in a home that was immersed with music. Um, then I would also visit Puerto Rico. They would take me to Puerto Rico in the summers and in the winters. But specifically in the winter, we have a tradition called barrandas. Can you roll your R's? Barrandas? Barrandas. Yeah, there you go. Wow, that's, a, that's fascinating. All right. <laughs> um, so when we do, we do barrandas, it's basically Christmas caroling, except we would start at about 10.30 p.m., and go to five in the morning and, and uh, wake up people as they're going to sleep or as they're sleeping. And we're not 
doing it with the whole choir and calm kind of tone and and uh, vibe. We're actually doing it with loud percussion instruments, guitars, flutes, trumpets, and singing lyrics that are demanding them to wake up, open the door, and start cooking for us. If not, we will keep on uh, playing. But I saw the power of music and how it brought people together. I mean, neighbors and just all kinds of people together. And it, it was so fascinating uh, to witness the power of music and how it could unify people regardless of uh, their walks of life. And so at seven years old, I told my dad that that's exactly what I want to do with my life. So he told me, cool, play the flute. <laughs> it's simply that. simple. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so um, I, I took on the flute and, and at eight years old, I started taking lessons with um, my teacher who I ended up studying with for about 21 years. And uh, her name is uh, Dr. Kim McCormick. She's a flute professor at the University of South Florida and uh, such a tremendous influence. At the same time, my father was training my ear and, uh, the, you know, my ability to create and, and to spontaneate. Look at that. And create music on the spot, and also to observe my audiences while uh, Dr. McCormick was helping me become the most expressive flute player that I can be. And then, which later on, I translated that information into other instruments that I decided to learn. So I played only flute until about the 11th grade, from third grade to the 11th grade, and I wanted to play other instruments because I, uh, you know, I felt. Uh, a level of resonance and, and just a connection with other instruments. But my dad told me, until you can master the flute, you cannot play a single instrument uh, that is not the flute. So uh, I took it as a fun challenge. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say that um, uh, I've mastered the flute. I think, it, you know, in, in my uh, 22 years of being a flutist, I feel like I hardly know anything. But that is the beauty. That is the journey, you know, um, and uh, an opportunity for all of us to continue learning uh, and, and learning about ourselves. I think the, the flute allows me to do that and lets me know what my limitations are. So it's always a fun challenge to be able to uh, be grounded and, and to uh, see the reward in the progress, not in uh, the accolades or the achievements. So, um you know, lots of hours behind closed doors, blood, sweat, and tears, and also a lot of laughs, a lot of, uh, you know, eyes wide open discoveries that I've made as I've uh, learned about myself and the kinds of musics that were out there. And I say musics with an S because, believe it or not, there are a lot of uh, um, empirical research scholars in the field of music education that now pluralize music with an S at the end. Now, getting back to the question... Um, you know, I participated in jazz and pop and in all kinds of different um, musical settings um, and within my school and, and also playing and learning uh, with my dad leading his own band and, and being the musician. So at 14 years old, I actually decided that I was going to try to do this professionally. And I still remember to this day my first gig, 14 years old and playing at a wedding and seeing that people actually responded to what I was doing and, and uh, giving me tips and then, hey, having a nice little check. And that was my first introduction to uh, the world of the music business. So um, moving forward, a lot of different competitions, uh, festival opportunities, um, and it was time to go to college. So I ended up doing a bachelor's 
in music with a concentration in music theory. Um, some people still ask me how, why, <laughs> you know, why music theory, but uh, I had a knack for that. And then I did my master's of music and instrumental performance, uh, which means classical performance, classical flute. And I studied with Trudy Kane, um, and my scholarship came from the jazz program, so I was equally involved in the jazz program. And uh, then I took a one-year hiatus and tried to work on my production skills because I just felt like I've acquired a lot of wisdom. You know, we acquire a lot of wisdom in the university. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just listening intently, dear sir. for a long time I would endorse the fact that there is that seven year old Joey in you because you can be extremely mischievous at times oh <laughs> yeah that's true I mean uh, I mean that's important know, that's important isn't it free, you have to be like a you have to be like a child you do and I, th- I find that very important that sometimes music can be very serious but we have to have fun to be able to enjoy it don't we Yeah, sometimes I, I surprise myself with what I say, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> right, along the way, on this journey, you've had some, you must have had some very influential people in your life. Um, Absolutely. Can you tell me about some of them and why specifically they were so important to you? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it very brief. Go on. Uh, my father introduced yeah. me to music, uh, cultivating my uh, my my valiant personality and, and to be able to uh, communicate with people and adapt to any situation. Then we have uh, Dr. Kim McCormick who uh, introduced me to the world of music and within that uh, the world of the big capital C um, mm-hmm. classical music and how to become uh, the most expressive musician I can possibly be. So she was a contributor to that. Um, I would say Jim Walker, um, somebody who, uh, you know, took me in um, as uh, as a protege and able to, uh, man, you see, I'm having a hard time trying to condense this because I'm just thinking of... Oh, keep going, sir, keep going, memory. keep going. But I'll keep going. Uh, you know, so Jim, uh, being able to be an incredible example of what it is to be a professional musician who can literally... Uh, do anything that he puts his mind to and um, uh, also be a producer, a professor, a pedagogue 
you know, uh, and the best at it as well. So I feel like he has shown me what the standard of excellence is in that regard. I'd say Kathy Miller as somebody who gave me my first opportunity to be able, you know, to join a company that would allow me to explore different opportunities of impacting people around the world and educating them and inspiring them. I'd say uh, a man with uh, quite a lot of names, but people most know him as John Paul. <laughs> His name is John Paul Dominique. Oh, good right? great. And I don't great. know what the last name is, but we won't go there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, for encouraging me in my professional trajectory uh, to remain who I am, never question it, and uh, reveal to me the level of influence that I'm capable of if I, you know, get some things uh, happening. And, and uh, certainly, I mean, you know, you've been a tremendous inspiration of mine. Well, I mean, I'm sure that the list would continue if you had to do a an autobiography, Jerry. But um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> when was it? Was there was there a time in your life when you realised you wanted to spend your rest of your life in music? In other words, was there a specific hook? Was there a specific moment? Was there? Sp- <laughs> yes, I have two funny responses, Go on. and both of them are true. Go. On. And I will say this shamelessly. <laughs> when I got that dough, yo. yo yes. <laughs> when I got that money. Yeah. <laughs> for the first time, I said, wait a minute, I could actually make a living doing this? So that was like, the first realization. You know, receiving that first check at that wedding in Tampa, Florida, uh, changed everything for me because I finally saw all the hard work and being compensated. Now, of course, when you're 14 years old, I mean, you know, you see that money, you're like, wow, I could take all my friends to the movies and be the cool friend. You know what I mean? But uh, it did stick with me, the possibility of, of uh, making a career in music. That was the introduction. But I think, uh, the, uh, you know, when I realized that I truly, truly want to spend the rest of my life in the world of music, I would say, uh, let's see, I've lost my train of thought. Dude, yeah, this is, must be a first, Jose. You're lost for yeah. words. Yeah. Do you know I'm going to keep this? I'm, I'm not going to cut. I'm not cutting this out the recording because because for you viewers, Jose is never short of words, and never, I think we've lost him. Never. I'm a dissertator. Long talks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I would I would say uh, that moment is when I realized. Yeah. And uh, if I if I think about the other one, I'll go back to it. Sure. No worries. Right. Last year, Jerry, I was looking from afar at a journey you made with some of your colleagues to Africa. Yeah. And you took your music to the people there. I mean, can you tell me, what life lessons did you get and what sticks with you still to this day? Oh, my gosh. You know, the thing about mission trips is that oftentimes people think uh, or go with the mindset that they're going to go on a mission trip to help uh, ameliorate the needs within that country, you know, to help people there. Sure. But the truth is, is that when you go there, they're the ones who are helping you. They're helping you spiritually. They're helping you prospectively, you know, understand the blessings that you do have. You know, I, I like the way that you put the word stick, what sticks with you, because mm. uh, whenever you go on a mission trip, and I've, I've done, you know, uh, I, I would say 24 or 25 mission trips uh, around the world, There's definitely a piece of you that will remain in that part of the world forever. And I also feel like a piece of my heart is cut out and then it's replaced with a piece of that 
that place that I, I, I uh, visited, you know. So if you took an x-ray, you might see, you know, a little trunk of Liberia there, you know, a little trunk of, uh, of Turkey there. Or, and I'm not talking about Turkey, the food. I'm talking about the country. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and just so many other countries. But uh, specifically about Liberia, Africa, um, I was just so fascinated with the music of uh, Elton John, um, you know, uh, when he came out with the Circle of Life song and, and, you know, Hans Zimmer being the film composer for The Lion King. And, uh, you know, I think that was sort of like the really big introduction to African music for me. Um, also visiting Puerto Rico, uh, seeing people playing their drums and, and then learning, discovering that, you know, one third of the, of the genetic makeup of what is a Puerto Rican comes from the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria. So I instantly embraced that concept that I am an African as well. Uh, and, you know, I, uh, in Tampa, Florida, I loved walking, taking long walks at Bush Gardens, which the theme is Africa. So Africa is always resonating to me. So when I finally got the opportunity to go to Africa for the first time, and it was with um, the university that I'm currently working for, which is the university, and so gracious to them for the opportunity to have gone there, um, it was truly, uh, you know, a milestone in my life. Um, you know, the lessons that I've learned were true. Were were a confirmation of the uh, recent album that I released with Jim Walker. Uh, the album is called "Those We Are One," and that postulation was confirmed when I went to Liberia because I realized that it didn't matter how far or if there was a big puddle between the United States and Africa, right? You know, yeah. not a puddle. Obviously, we we understand that, but. It, I just, I, I realize how similar we all are. You know, the human conditions are the same, the, the, which is the need to be creative or the need to be loved, the, the longing for relationship, the longing for conversation. And so when you understand that, the foundations, the fundamentals of what a human being needs at the most basic level, you can connect with anyone. And music is a part of that. I remember I went and I visited um, a real rural era, area within uh, Liberia, and we visited the Basa tribe. Now, I'm going to try to be descriptive about this, but uh, <laughs> I don't know that most flutists would even dare to do this sort of thing. But we visited a tribe that, you know, they welcome you. Uh, but they have machetes in their hands because if they don't know you, they're, they're, they're very protective, to say the least. Was it because you, you, know, had, the, was it because you had the flute in your hand? <laughs> exactly. So they had machetes in their hand, and I'm like, wait a minute, I need to, you know, break the ice. So I literally took out my Trevor James flute, all right? And I think you may have put a little, a little magic potion on it because <laughs> the end result was I started playing, and, you know, the kind of, curious semi-mean faces turned into laughter and everybody started dancing i was doing something in 12 8 you know so i was like and they just started moving and the next thing you know everybody started dancing and this guy points the machete right at my face and he says you you are one of us oh yeah <laughs> and i'm like trying not to get you know close to that machete so i said thanks man thank you thank you but, you know, that created an incredible experience uh, and relationship that to this day, you know, I, 
cultivate um, uh, with so many librarians and and um, you know maybe I'll have the opportunity to go there again who knows but um, you know life lessons that I learned is is continuously to be grateful can I take you back to a specific moment on your African trip and it's one that stays with me I can see it in my mind's eye you posted a certain picture and it was you, you, you know what I'm going to talk about here, don't you? It was you and you're looking, you had your flute in your hand, in your, up to your mouth, and you're looking directly to this little boy that just had yeah. a sort of a loincloth on. Can you tell me about that? Because that is an absolutely beautiful, beautiful picture of where joy of music came out to somebody that probably didn't have much. Well, not only did it not have much, that person has never even witnessed visually or sonically a flute oh wow so it was for the first time uh even even seeing what this was and uh you know the way that started is once we've established uh rapport with the basa tribe um we were sitting down at a church and we were just kind of hanging out and it was just us because the church service uh had not begun but uh the lady who took the photo her name's carolyn dirksen um, a distinguished professor of English, actually, at the university, and but tremendous heart for Africa, and she goes there all the time. Anyways, um, she took out her camera, and she and I didn't know she took out her camera, but she just said, "Why don't you start playing your flute and see if the kids will, if you can draw kids to you?" And uh, it, it, you know, I I said, "Okay, well, <laughs> let's see." And uh, so I started playing. Uh, a melody that I think uh, would resonate with children's hearts. And lo and behold, I see these little eyes peeking. Um, you know, and it, it, there's no door because it's just an open building. They're, they're not even doors, but they're just kind of peeking behind the wall. And then, you know, uh, it's that giggle sound when you <laughs> actually notice that they're looking at you, you know, while I'm playing. So then I'm kind of chasing them with the flute and they're laughing. And uh, then this boy comes, and he's carrying his clothes. So that's like his cloth that he was wearing. He didn't even want to put his clothes yet, you know. He mm. just, he was truly mesmerized by the sound. And, but something really happened that I, to this day, I could kind of explain it, but in many ways it's unexplicable. It's just only explained by the phenomenon and the power that music has. And that is that for a moment in time, our eyes locked in. And as I was playing, it was as if he was communicating to me without spoken language, just by looking at me. And I was looking directly at him, and I was receiving a message. Mm -hmm. Just with, 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 in this little child's, uh, you know, through this little child's eyes. And, and that message was... I know who you are, and you know who I am. And for and me, for shows. me personally, it's the most, it was the most beautiful flute picture I think I've ever seen. For all those listening to this podcast, they'll know and they'll hear the passion in your voice, but also that you're a very motivating guy. And I can tell them, and not that they would doubt these words, that you have an ability to hold an audience in the palm of your hand. So... Taking that as read, what advice would you give to anybody listening who doubts in their ability? You know, I, I think when somebody doubts their ability, it's because they don't know who they are. They haven't truly established that. Got you. Oftentimes, uh, 
you know, the, the, the extent of knowing who some who one is is simply by what their name is, what their favorite food or drink or musician is, or that sort of thing. But um, you know, they're all, when you think about favorite this, favorite that, you're pointing towards something, an object or an entity that is not you. Yeah. And so I think before anyone um, is ready to take on the stage, because the stage is not about you. But in order for you to, it, it's, it's about whoever you're going to minister to. And I define ministry as meeting people's needs sure. with love. Yeah, could be. You know? So depending on who you're going to minister, uh, that's what the stage is. It's, it's who you're going to minister to. So you're talking but, about the audience here, are you? Jerry? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The audience. Exactly. They have a need. They come and they bring uh, they, they, they bring a whole bunch of baggage, but they need you to make their lives a bit better for a moment. And you're going to do it with your music. You see? Mm -hmm. But in order for that to happen, you have to have security in who you are. And I think in many ways, people prepare performances, and uh, the intention of the performances is to showcase who, uh, you know, what they can do. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look at me wiggle my fingers fast. Look at me, uh, you know, and, and, and that is, I think, incorrect, because music is a service. Now, yeah. that's, my, that's my disposition. You know what I mean? Uh, people can have different uh, dispositions, and, and I will gladly respect that. But since this interview is about my thoughts, <laughs> right, <laughs> I will gladly uh, give you my take on it. So I think before students or professionals or anyone is ready to take on the stage, I think there needs to be a level of uh, security and confidence. And, you know, you break down the etymology of confidence. Mm. Con and vides means with faith. So, you know, the, the, that means that you have to have trust in yourself or trust in, uh, in my case, in God, that, that it's all going to go well. Because it's a big task to be able to play music with a purpose and to be able to give in, be given a platform where literally for a moment of time you have them in the palm of your hands and what you could say could either um, hinder them or elevate them. You know, But you must first be so secure in where you are at in your life before you can start building the security in others. I would agree you with that. So, yeah, so there's no hiding place when you're on the stage, really. People can see through it if you're not being true to yourself. You have to be transparent. You know, you have to be open. You have to be willing to make mistakes. I mean, that's what life is all about. There are going to be things that, that are, are going to happen, and you're not going to be able to go back in time. You know, we don't have that luxury unless you're going to play music back in time or music of the future or, you know, uh, that's another conversation, multidimensional music. But, um, you, you know, you have to you have to uh, be transparent and laugh off any type of uh, accidents and incidentals that, that may occur during your performance, because that's what life happens. You know, life that, that's what life's about. You know, you uh uh, get lemons and you make lemonade, right? That's how the old saying goes. Yeah, but you don't so, you don't get ham and make a hamburger, do you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Got me there. No, I mean there's some valuable advice in there, Joey. Really, it is to be true to yourself. Find out who you are. Be true to yourself. Don't worry about making mistakes, and then just release yourself. And then, then will you truly? create your own potential so taking that as uh, as as read 
As a multi-award winning musician yourself, well, composer, producer, engineer, educator, the list goes on. What would you recommend young players do to harness their potential? In other words, is there any keys they can, apart from trying to find out who they are, are there any extra keys? I think when we're we're talking, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about... Uh, just different topics from a philosophical standpoint. Sure. Now let's talk a little bit about what are some key things that they can do um, in terms of their practice to actually achieve these dreams. You know, young players to harness their potential, and regardless of what they want to do. I think uh, part of what one needs to consider is how they are actually working towards um, achieving that dream. And, and we're talking about practice now. You know, the greats are always practicing. Michael Jordan practiced relentlessly. Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James. I'm a basketball fan, so I just mentioned three basketball players. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, but any great, whenever you see greatness, oftentimes you only see the shortest moments of display of, you know, something that is fascinating, but you don't see the tireless hours and the tireless mistake, countless mistakes that somebody has made. You know what I mean? To get to that point, I think uh, some people may view mistakes as mistakes. I view mistakes as uh, lessons. You know, so if I made it, if I make a mistake at, at playing my flute or in life, I see it as a lesson. I see it as an opportunity to grow. So having a positive outlook on, um, a, you know, the creative process is very important. I think uh, I agree with the music education philosopher. His name is. John Kratis, and he talks about uh, you know his theory of the creative process, which is exploration, improvisation, um, composition, and creative performance. And just understanding that, it, you know, I, I did a study and I, I found that this process is actually cyclical and can occur it doesn't necessarily occur linearly. So when one practices, one could you know be working on a technical passage and uh, really honing down. But, hey, if at another moment, you know, you're wanting to learn how to improvise and then get back to whatever it is you're doing, do it. Take a moment. You know, don't feel like you need to um, master everything technically before you have been um, awarded the right to be able to improvise or create your ideas. You know, your ideas are significant from the get-go. Just as, um, you know, with my little son, Luca, what he's been teaching me is that he has significant things to say uh even if he can't uh if he doesn't have all the the syntax and the diction and the ability to speak clearly a language he could still communicate to me something meaningful now in his case it's just milk 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 please milk you know and he does it with a nice sound that pierces the ear yes (laughs) but in the same way even when you are beginning as a flutist or any music, any instrument you play, you have something significant to say. But and and so don't re, don't don't just focus on uh, the idea that you know until you have mastered technical virtuosity, only then you can communicate to the world. No, you have the right to communicate whatever you have to say, and it's the process. And I think professionals need to. Um, you need, need to promote that within young students to teach them 
that uh, they already have something to say, and how can they translate that? Now, technique is important. I think it's the foundation because it teaches us how to say. But I think it's also important for us to cultivate the the imaginative process. You know, using the imagination and uh, life stories, uh, resembling sounds, representative descriptors uh, to teach us what to say. You know, teach us how to think. What? How do we translate meaning into? Uh, into music and I think that's where the technique comes in uh, but we need to make sure that they are thinking about meaning with music if not it's just sounds so, organizational sounds yeah so in, sh- in short to encapsulate what, you, what you're saying Joey it's really the the young player should unshackle in other words take the handcuffs off and realise that realising that they're unique and once they mm-hmm. can do that that will unleash the world to them absolutely and you know practical advice I would give to any student. When you're practicing, make sure that you're practicing from multiple perspectives. And visually, sonically, uh, theoretically, and technically. So, technique teaches us how to say. Then visually, this is, this is talking about internal visualization and external visualization. So, you know, think about what is the meaning behind the music. And hopefully that will induce the cognitive translation process, uh, which means, you know, if, if I want to play sad, and then I think of the properties that make sad, and then it'll affect my musculature. Okay, mm-hmm. so then, then the technique will, will basically do it itself. You see what I'm saying? To produce Absolutely, something yeah. that we would equate to being sad. Conductors do this fascinatingly because they say uh, maybe to the flutist, oh, play this note like a feather. So automatically, you know, in a nanosecond, you you start thinking the properties of a feather, light, uh, soft, maybe even the way it looks with a taper. And then you start doing that and you do all, you know, the technical things to produce that kind of tone. And then voila, now you've played light as a feather. You see, so there's meaning behind music, but the technique is important as well. So technique, and then uh, then the so technically, then visually that we just talked about internal visualization. How about external visualization? Make sure that you're practicing in the mirror. Make sure that you're recording your performances so that you can actually see and ask yourself: Would I pay money to see, not to hear, but to see that performance? You mm. see what I'm saying? I do. Not and in I my think, case. <laughs> oh man, you're a good old jolly handsome fellow, you. So, you know, the, now technically, visually, but also sonically. And I think in today's age with technological advancements, you know, one should use it with moderation, but at the same time, take advantage of even the simple phone that you may or, that you may have, which has you know the recording. So then you can actually go back and hear third person what you sound like from third person view. Um, uh, practicing theoretically is important so that you understand all the components that made up this music and under theoretical when you're practicing also look at the historical aspects of whatever piece you're working on you know and if it's an original composition you know analyze the piece analyze it from a theoretical aspect and I would also say practice relationally Practice, practice relationally, meaning don't just practice by yourself, but make sure that you're practicing with your colleagues, practicing with your friends who are also working towards uh, the same goal and maybe with the same instrument. Maybe they're going to express it a little differently, but the mission is the same. You know, uh, relationships are the currency of the kingdom, and, and it's how we function. And so to be isolated in a room, sometimes that's very important, 
and I make sure that I have my my you know joey time, my quiet time to be able to meditate and think. But it's important to make sure that we're practicing with others and practicing with others who can challenge us, who are better than us. And it's not and it's beyond going once a week to an applied lesson teacher. You know, uh, if if that person who's better than you ends up being a bassoon player, well, you know, learn from the bassoon player. Practice with the bassoon player. And I think when you develop more relationships and you engage in music making um, with other people, you are bound to uh, blossom as a creative professional. How important is improv? And how would you recommend the listeners begin with exploring improvisation? Yeah, well, how, is the, how important is living day by day? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a very all fair of us point. It's important. We want to live the following day, but in order for us to do so, we have to improvise. Because if not, we will never make it. Because we can't, we, we don't have control, uh, you know, for, uh, for the external things uh, around us. We have control of ourselves and the choices that we make. But we can have a plan, and life will throw us in a different direction at times. Oh, a friend came late. Oh, I didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, oh, I just got pooped on by a bird. You know, all kinds of things, right? So you have to improvise. You have to, and, and improvisation is all about solutions. So if you're an improviser, technically you are a solutionist because problems are going to occur in life all the time, right? So being able to develop a mindset and a willingness and openness to learn how to improvise is essential. It's essential to the creative process. I talked a little bit uh, already about John Kratis and, and uh, this idea that he postulated, which is that the first stage is exploration, but then improvisation, then composition, and then creative performance. So, to the musician who wants to enhance their, uh, you know, their, their trajectory and, and their career as a performing artist, you don't do it just by wearing a nice fancy tuxedo or a dress. You know, and then playing other people's music. I think that at some point, it's going to require you to even create and, and, and uh, create music. But in order for you to do that, you have to explore. And the exploration process, what that means, it, it, it's actually sort of like the foundation of improvisation, where it's just like you're going to try things, and you're not sure exactly where you're going, but you're you're just you're just going, and you're looking, and you're discovering. So it's the discovery stage. You know, and so when I practice, and, and and as a kid, I mean, of course, I always practice my foundation. Um, you know, the fundamentals of, of uh, all these books and and all these pieces, and I love them. But I knew that if I wanted to play them with a level of uh, of uh, conviction and be able to put my identity through the instrument, I needed to explore. And so being able to explore, and, and for example, here's an assignment that uh, an aspiring performer may consider doing. Take a B-flat major scale. Now play it. Yep. Then play it with a feeling of nostalgia. Okay. So first, you need to know what nostalgia is, and you need to come up uh, with a thought where you have felt nostalgia at some point in your life. Now, without thinking anything about it technically, can you try to convey that through your instrument? Try to play the B-flat major scale up and down with nostalgia. Now, start creating and making up a melody with a feeling of nostalgia. This is still the exploration process because 
is improvisation is when you've taken ideas that now resonate with you and uh, then you uh, it's all about when do you actually uh, release it to the world for them to listen so it's more of like you're taking different motives different ideas and what the improvisation happens is it's it's all about permutation so when, how do you organize these different motivic ideas, right? Because if I take a song, let's say, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder, there's a harmonic uh, structure to the song. Well, I've worked out, I've already explored my instrument, which means I've already worked out and discovered and tried a lot of different licks. Now there's some things that I definitely want to play. So the improvisation is not anything that I have, it's not things that I have not worked on, okay? It's things that I've worked on, and then when do I play you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, and improvisation in many ways is the opportunity to apply the lessons that you have learned through the exploration process. It's it's akin to when your uh, parents or guardian uh, or teacher gives you a lesson on what to do in this situation. All right? So when the time comes, you're not exploring. You literally have to improvise because the, the, the question that you need to answer is... When? When do I play this? When do I do this? When do I make the phone call? You know, it's, 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 that's what it is. So now we get to the next level of creative process, and I'm really fascinated by this. This is one of the reasons why I've become a composer, is because, take for instance, Herbie Hancock. I heard a story about Herbie Hancock saying that pianists, as incredible as he is, he says, pianists will continue over time to become more virtuosic and more incredible than me. But I know that my legacy will not, for that reason, I know my legacy will not be defined by my piano ability, but it will be defined by my compositions. And isn't that so for Bach, for Beethoven, for Mozart, Haydn? Yep. Yep. For so many people that we don't even know how they actually sounded when they played, but we know them by their compositions. And it's, and it, it, at that point, it becomes eternal. And so when you record your instrument, even uh, let's break it down to the beginner flutist or the uh, intermediate or advanced flutist, all right? When you're practicing, make sure that you're recording. Record, record that scale that you played with a feeling of nostalgia. Then record that short improvisation with the feeling of nostalgia. And you may find that when you record it, some ideas that were just outstanding. Now write it down in music. The final stage of the creative process is creative performance. How do you deliver that documentation and communicate it audibly and visually? All the work that you've put into from the exploration process to improvising uh, and, and responding and reacting and being proactive to the situation because, hey, if the pianist ends up accidentally going in a different direction, you can't respond. you got to be proactive. Go you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Not reactive, proactive. So then now you've gone through all these different processes and you've documented your ideas. Now it's time for you to share it with the world. These ideas are not meant for you to just uh, keep in your computer or to keep in, in a closet somewhere. Share it with the world. And that is actually why I decided to do, do higher education because 
it's 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 another level when when uh you know it's it's another it's it's like another level to to have to cultivate students marketability and and uh entrepreneurial tactics teach them entrepreneurialism so that they can actually navigate through this harsh music industry and then uh find a way to actually make a sustainable living but you do that by meeting a need and if you can communicate that need through a creative process which is you know through the creative performance so that the delivery is actually very creative and, and exciting right innovative that that is what i teach you know I'm, i'm a music business professor so that's where my passion is so you know i, I cultivate the creative identity through this philosophy you know the, the or at least theory of the creative process right my philosophical approach will be and and you should do this all students should do this they should approach it um you, you know uh with with an idea that that uh, it's the process it's not the destination but that's really where it's at you know uh, th- those those are the advices that i would give to anybody who is really trying to take their musicianship to another level to a transcendental level you know um sometimes people say well i just don't know where i'm going i don't i don't know um uh, you know why i even play the instrument anymore well that, again it's time to reevaluate and 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 uh write your identity write it down jot these things down so when you practice make sure that you're doing all these different things right we've talked about various things we've talked about the creative process so practicing through the creative process make sure that you're exploring improvising that you're recording it on your phone or writing it down the ideas that you've improvised and then how do you deliver it all right that's the creative process so you know make sure that your stage presence is good um you know we've talked about uh multidimensional practice which is practicing technically sonically theoretically uh visually uh, internal visualization and external visualization and then also relationally as you could probably gather i've been very quiet for the last few minutes jay but i'm just sort of listening and writing down notes because there's plenty in there that i can take away yeah and, and that's the thing are, are you a talker or are you a doer well yeah. do you know my, my wife would probably tell you i'm a talker but i'd like to think i'm a doer <laughs> <laughs> joey you yeah it's non-stop with you how do you unwind or don't you unwind Really? Um I, yeah, oh, absolutely. I you know, it's funny because whenever I uh, I do travel a lot, right? So whenever I do travel, uh you know, I'm on the plane and um uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to sleep on the plane, so technically I'm not unwinding through sleep. So I just I try to unwind uh through other means. And what I do is I love writing. I love writing. Mm-hmm. Um and I I write ideas, I write stories, I write um you know uh, plans and and uh vision casting for myself and goals and things like that and and uh I I write uh lessons that I've learned from a trip that I just am returning from or that I'm headed to you know expectations it's it's like the, uh like a a man diary a man <laughs> diary you know I love that <laughs> so I love writing I also love playing billiards I love playing billiards um hanging out with my friends and picking at each other is always a blast 
you know, nothing like a good get together with bros who, yeah, they know they know what you do as a musician, and and you know, my bros are all incredible musicians, probably even better than me. Um, and but you know, uh, being able to just uh, hang out and laugh. I mean, uh, here's an example of uh, NFA in San Diego. Um, it was Dennis Boyakov, <laughs> myself, and Giovanni Perez. And each of us have, uh, you know, uh, uh, extraordinary strengths in different areas, you know. Uh, but nobody can compare at a technical level of Dennis Boryakov. But, hey, um, to be able to do the music that I do and to be able to, uh, you know, woo the ladies the way Giovanni does when he performs, we all have our unique strengths, right? But uh, we, we, we know how to just, you know, put our hat down, put, put up our coat. And just to be dudes, you know, and, and uh, have fun. And that goes the same with, you know, whenever I hang out with Jim Walker or uh, John Paul, for the matter. You know what I mean? Just anybody. We know how to unwind and just uh, pick at each other. But uh, also, at the end of the day, nothing gives me greater joy than, than to spend time with my extraordinary wife, Courtney. Absolutely. And my incredible son, Luca. You know, um, they, they put everything in perspective for me. Um, and... They always remind me, why is it that I do what I do? You know, as a man, um, I, I will quote um, uh, Steve Harvey, although I could add a couple things to that, but uh, he loves alliteration. Um, you know, he says the way a man expresses his love is by providing, protecting, and professing. And, uh, you know, I, I know that I, I'm in a very fortunate situation to be able to uh, provide and, and uh, you know, for my uh, wife and son, uh, with this musical career, and so being with them and seeing uh, the fruits of the hard labor that I um, that I do, and they are my inspiration too. They're giving me newfangled inspiration to my compositions, to my approach. Both of them have, without a doubt, even influenced uh, me to perform and play in a different way. Do you know I've learned more in this last hour than I've I've learned in the last five six years with you, Joey? Thank you. <laughs> so as we draw to a conclusion i mean everyone will the listening to this podcast will be able to hear how you engage how you motivate and purely bring the joy of music to as many people as possible so how do listeners find out more about you well you know th- uh, that statement that you made about motivating and bringing the joy of music to as many people as possible i uh you know that is the aim and i'm so glad uh that you know um that you're saying it because uh, it, it lets me know that, hey, at least I'm headed in the right direction. I don't know that I do it all the time, but I aim to do it all the time. And, uh, you know, the way people can find me out is uh, you can message me on Facebook. Hey, that's a concept. A relational uh, <laughs> musician, you know. <laughs> you know, so uh, you can message me uh, or you can uh, follow me on Facebook, right? Uh, Facebook.com slash Jose Vantino or Instagram. And that is um, at uh, Jose Valentino Music. You can also uh, keep up with all the really cool things. I, I update my website regularly, um, or at least have somebody do it. Um, uh, you know, I can't talk about myself. Somebody has to write about it all. <laughs> but uh, JoseValentino.com. And uh, then also YouTube. Yeah, you can also check out iTunes. Uh, I have my albums there if you want to support or if you want to... Uh, stream me go on any of those streaming sites absolutely Joey thank you for the time taken up with this podcast interview and I really hope I haven't um, 
made you use up your word allocation for the day. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, it's a tremendous honor to be able to have this dialogue with you, and uh, I can't wait to do it in person. And, uh, you know, um, if ever we cross, you know, I'm talking to the listener, if ever we cross paths and you want to say what's up and, and uh, you know, um, you want to share ideas, because I'm always willing to learn, I'm always willing to grow and desiring to grow uh hit me up you know holler at me and say yo joe and uh i'll respond <laughs> right for all those going to the nfa this year in orlando you'll be able to find um joey just by looking for the old guy with white hair because we we hang around together <laughs> exactly yep and we have the trevor james flute showcase we'll be at the booth uh we'll be doing the the evening gala as well with Jim Walker, Giovanni Perez, Gina Luciani, and myself will be performing for the cabaret. So uh, a lot of fun and exciting things happening. Joey, thank you for your time, my friend. Ah, thank you so much, John Paul. Love Take to care. Luca and to Courtney. All right. Take, Take care, care, my friend. Yeah. And now it is time for Joke of the Week. Graham, do you have a joke for me? Oh, yes. Do you know, I was reading the paper today and I've got this one here. What's the latest crime wave in New York City? Do you know, Graham, I don't know. What is the great, sorry, the latest crime wave in New York City? Drive-by trombone solos. (laughs) The nasty business, mate, I can say. Thank you. Thank you. Oh dear, 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 dear. And as we draw to the end of this week's TF Extra, I'd like to refer you back to the podcast last week where I was talking about the pronunciations and the different terminology for some American words and English words. And apparently I've missed at least two really good examples out. The first one from a Hans Milner in Munich says... You've missed another one. In England, I believe, you say oregano. But in America, they say oregano. And Hans has helped me here by writing it out phonetically. So I hope I've said that correctly, Hans. Thank you. And one from Maria Davis, who writes on our YouTube Trevor James Flutes page. You've missed an obvious one out. Americans say flutists. The English say flute players oh dear oh dear oh dear i think i might have opened a small can of worms with this one and it's going to be very interesting to see what comes back next week on the subject so thanks again for joining us at tf extra and i look forward to speaking to you again soon goodbye
Talking Flutes and TF Extra are flute podcast productions by Trevor James Flutes. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.